0: Amen. If you would, uh, take perhaps both your Bibles as well as the bulletins. We've been studying Proverbs this summer. I think that this is week number 19 of studying the book of Proverbs this summer. So we've been in here for a while. We're seeking to learn wisdom. We're seeking to learn what it looks like for us to walk in the fear of the Lord. We've studied a lot of very practical topics. That's something I love about the book of Proverbs, that it's it's very down to earth, that it talks about real life, everyday subjects. Uh, We've talked about uh, the way we treat our our spouse, our family members, our neighbors, uh, the way we spend our money, the way we work, the way that we speak, the words that we use. Uh, Proverbs shows us that wisdom and godliness is not theoretical, it's actually shown in the everyday realities of our lives, in the very ways that we live. But that's not all. Proverbs shows us that the wise person is also the person who has insight into the human heart, into the human condition. They understand something of the inner life. They're sympathetic towards the joys and sorrows of life. They understand what it means to have or to to diagnose the crushed spirit and what to do with it. These verses that I want to read for us today, the the selection of Proverbs that's there on on page 9, centers around that theme, the theme of uh, the crushed or the wounded spirit, what it means to be brought low in heart. And so I'd ask that you follow along on page 9 there in the bulletin with this uh, selection of Proverbs. And as is our custom, let me ask, if you're able, would you join me in standing for the reading of God's holy word today? This is the word of the Lord from the book of Proverbs. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man? A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his inmost parts. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the heart. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're especially thankful for the book of Proverbs, for the promise that we can uh, learn wisdom, that we can set our hearts to the task of following Jesus Christ in everyday life, of learning how uh, a Christian behaves uh, in very practical, down-to-earth, everyday ways. And we're thankful that you speak to this for us. You give us the promise of learning wisdom in these areas. And Lord, today as we uh, attend to the wisdom of learning about a crushed spirit, we pray for the mercy uh, of your spirit to open our eyes. Lord, may we listen. May we attend to your word diligently. May we see our Savior holding forth his gracious word to those who believe and to those who come towards him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things that we've seen throughout this summer studying the book of Proverbs is that the whole book of Proverbs and all the wisdom that it calls us to is never simplistic. Uh, It's never reductionistic. Proverbs is actually a a pretty complex book. It's pretty savvy in the wisdom that it offers to us and what it holds out to us, uh, which is actually pretty impressive, uh, given that the main form of a proverb is just all these simple one-line sayings that it offers to us. Uh, But you take one with another and you put them all together and you take the whole collection and you get this fairly detailed, uh, impressively savvy collection of wisdom for life. Uh, And it's never more so than with this topic, that learning wisdom is sometimes complex. There's no shortcuts on the road to wisdom. Uh, And when we look at this topic, the crushed spirit, the nature of the heart, the nature of the inner life, uh, we see that to be true more here than ever. Here's the the, uh, outline, the map for what we talk about today. Three points. Number one, the reality of a crushed spirit. Number two, small mercies for the crushed spirit. And number three, hope for those crushed in spirit. The reality of the crushed spirit, small mercies, and then hope for those who are crushed in spirit. But the first thing to talk about is simply the reality of the crushed spirit. If you've never dealt with a crushed spirit, it might seem like a very obvious place to begin to say that it's real, that it exists, that there is such a thing as this. But if you do know the pain of the crushed spirit or if you have at one time known the pain of a crushed spirit, you know there's actually a lot of comfort simply in that recognition that the Bible talks about the crushed spirit. When your heart is despondent, you often feel very alone, which brings a whole extra layer of fear on top of the sadness, the weight, the pressure, the crush that you're already feeling. you have this sense that, what is wrong with me? No one has ever dealt with anything like this before. I alone am am somehow badly broken, uh, feeling this crushed spirit. Uh, And on top of that, again, there are those who would suggest that if you are really a Christian, then you shouldn't have a crushed spirit. That if you're a Christian, you shouldn't get depressed. Or who would say, if you have a crushed spirit, well, just cheer up already. Right? They, would, they would treat you too simply. There was actually a, a book, it was published I think two years ago, and it was called Christians Get Depressed Too. And we, we recognize the reason someone actually wrote that book is because they know the pressure that so many people would say Christians don't get depressed. And so there can be comfort in learning that in this world in which we live, there's this special kind of grief and, and internal suffering, and it's not unusual at all. And to deal with a crushed spirit, it's talked about throughout Proverbs. You heard just this ongoing list of verses that all are talking about this weight, this anxiety, what it is to be wounded in spirit. Proverbs 18.4 says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? If your body gets sick, it's possible that, that that can be actually pretty miserable, but your spirit can still endure. Right? You can still have hope, you can have joy, you, you can actually feel you know, quite good internally, even if you're dealing with physical bodily pain. And, and we've seen that, perhaps you've seen that in others, you've, you've been encouraged by it, that someone who has so many, so many reasons to be laid low physically, but nevertheless, spiritually, emotionally, they're, they're very high, uh, they're very hopeful. But what do you do when it's not your body that is in pain, but your spirit itself is crushed? How do you go on when it's your heart that's in the darkness and you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel? Proverbs is saying in that verse that that this crushed spirit, it's actually worse than sickness. To add this internal, whether you call it spiritual or emotional or psychological, this pain of spirit where your heart itself is feeling crushed and you lose your joy, you lose your hope. And the Bible is filled with examples of that, is it not? The Bible is full of examples of godly men and women whose spirits have been crushed. And let me mention a few of them just so that you know if you have a crushed spirit, you have many friends awaiting you in the scriptures. Think of Hannah. Hannah was a godly woman. Hannah was a woman who went every year to offer her sacrifices at the temple to worship and to pray. But also, Hannah was barren. And she knew that exquisite sorrow and pain And she was deeply distressed. She wept bitterly. She went to the temple and prayed, and it says she was speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation, pouring out her tears before the Lord. She knew the pain of the crushed spirit. Think of David. King David himself, the man after God's own heart, and yet how many of his psalms could we pick from to demonstrate what it is to have a crushed spirit? Think of Psalm 22. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. That's the pain of a crushed spirit. That's the wounded spirit. We could look at it also from another angle uh, and remember that Christ came with a ministry to those who were crushed. Isaiah 42 speaks of Jesus uh, saying that a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. One pastor wrote on those verses and he said this, that we see the condition of those for whom Christ came, that they were not trees, but reeds. They were not whole, they were bruised. Jesus is the one who came for those with a crushed spirit. Proverbs 14.10 gets at part of the pain of a crushed spirit, saying this, the heart knows its own bitterness. And no stranger shares its joy. When your spirit is crushed, there's actually a double pain that most people feel. There's the pain of whatever it is that crushed your spirit, the grief, the the, uh, the distress. But there's also the pain of loneliness that then comes with it. right? The heart knows its own bitterness. No stranger shares its joy. So there's a, this double pain that comes with the crushed spirit. And Proverbs says... It's not only grief that has this power to isolate, but joy does the same thing. right? No stranger shares its joy. And you think, have you ever had an experience where you are feeling just this great joy inside, maybe it's some good news that you got that you just are bubbling over, you want to share it with somebody, and you go, you find the first person you see, and you tell them this fantastic news that you've just received, and they say, oh, that's neat and they turn away to do something else, and, and your, your heart comes up short, and you're like, wait. You, you just so deeply want somebody else to enter into your joy with you, and to share that joy, and to rejoice with you in your rejoicing. And Proverbs says it's actually more the rule than the exception when, when we find that nobody shares our joy the way we wish that they could. And it's the same thing with our sorrows, that when we're crushed in spirit and we so deeply wish that there was somebody else who could enter into that sorrow with us. Someone else who could look us in the eye and say with sincerity that they knew how we were feeling and we would know it to be true, rather than that suspicion we often have that they don't really know how we're feeling. They're saying they do. They want to be kind. They want to support us. They want to love us. But they don't really understand. There's the isolating, the loneliness, the this, this aspect of our grief that, that we know our own bitterness. So this is depressing. (laughs) Aren't you all glad you came today to to talk about what it's like when your spirit is crushed? Why is life like this? Why are we so susceptible to a crushed spirit? Why is it that that most likely every one of us in here can be inside nodding our heads and saying, yes, I know that feeling? Why is that? I think the key is in understanding where we live. And I don't mean... L.A., although L.A. will crush your spirit from time to time. But here's what I mean, and and this was Zach Eswine, a pastor in St. Louis. He's got a term for where we live. He says, every one of us, we live in once Eden. It's hyphenated, once Eden. You see what that means? He's saying we live in a world that was once paradise. And I mean literally paradise created by God declared good by God with everything that we could need. Adam and Eve taken and placed in that garden. Uh, Everything was there for the enjoyment of mankind. Uh, No sin had entered the world yet. No curse was spoken over the earth yet. Everything was exactly the way it ought to be. None of these proverbs about a crushed spirit would have made any sense to Adam and Eve at that point. They had perfect communion with God, unhindered communion with one another. Indeed, they they had a perfect self-understanding and ability to to deal with their own heart. And that's the world we want, and that's the world that we dream of, that's the world that uh, our heart is longing for, and yet we don't live there, do we? We live instead in once Eden. At this earth that now understands that sin has come into the world and the Lord has spoken a curse, a curse on, on man and woman for their sin, a curse over all of creation, so that all of creation... Is groaning, according to the Apostle Paul. Right? Our, it's that in, inward longing that, that struggles to find words to speak it, but there's simply a groaning that things could be different than the way that they are. But they're not. Sin entered the world. Adam and Eve were evicted. There was no more access to paradise. And an angel with a flaming sword kept them from going back. And so we live here in once Eden. God's good creation still, but groaning under the curse. And so we know what it is to be subject to sin and misery. Our bodies break down. We're subject to death. And our spirits break down. And our hearts break down. They're subject to being crushed. And so what do we do? We know the reality. We might even have this theological understanding of why this is the reality, of why it is that we live in this world. What do we do? And here's what I want to Suggest some small mercies for the crushed spirit and then to get to hope for the crushed spirit. Because here's the thing, if we ask very simply, what do we do? Does Proverbs prescribe the cure? We understand very well the, the, the illness, the problem, the crushed spirit. What does Proverbs have for us? Does it prescribe the cure? And, and I think the answer would be something like, yes and No. Right? And which is more promising than it sounds at first. That We realize the, Pro- the book of Proverbs uh, is really quite savvy in dealing with problems of the heart. Uh, it's pretty savvy. It's Like we said earlier, it's not simplistic, uh, but it's savvy in understanding and dealing with the state of the heart. It's not reductionistic. In other words, uh, Proverbs is not going to be like that perhaps well-meaning but ill-informed friend who shows up at just the wrong time and says... Cheer up. Here, let me play you a song. That'll help you feel better. Have more faith. Right? In fact, if we look at Proverbs twenty-five twenty, towards the bottom there, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. That's that friend. Right? Proverbs is calling out, the overly simplistic, even if well-meaning friend who comes and offers trite solutions that end up hurting more than they help. Proverbs calls them out It says that's not the solution. Right? This one who sings songs, who just says, here, let me play you some new song on my phone. Right? This will cheer you up. This will help you feel better. Proverbs is utterly realistic, I think, in speaking about the reality of the crushed spirit. And here's what I see. it That Proverbs offers these two things. It offers some small mercies. And by small mercies, I mean things that really do help, right? Things that if you have the crushed spirit, these are things that can buoy you up, that can encourage you. Uh, they're not going to be the, you know, the final cure, but they do help. And the Lord gives them to us as an act of his mercy. But then Proverbs will point us towards where we find hope. It'll point us towards hope. But first, let's start with some of these small mercies, and I, I see three of them that I want to point us to today. Uh, three helps. Number one, make the most of Christian fellowship. Uh, look at Proverbs twelve twenty-five. Uh, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Now, that, like many of these Proverbs, is very simple, but we do know it to be true, do we not? The power of the right word, spoken at just the right time, has almost an uncanny ability to reframe your perspective to soothe your wounds to cheer your face even if just a little as 15.4 says a gentle tongue is a tree of life it does that it speaks healing it comforts us words are powerful so why do i say make the most of christian fellowship because that's the place we ought to turn to to find the good word right christian fellowship is powerful Right? When we are in the company of other believers, uh, we are with those who have the ability to tell us the truth. When your heart is weighed down, when your spirit is crushed, you need the truth. Right? The worst thing that we can do in times like that is to allow our hearts to succumb to all the many lies that this world wants to tell us about who we are, about where life is to be found, about what you ought to be pursuing in life. That's the worst thing. They say things like, well, go ahead, indulge a little bit in that sin. You need it, you deserve it, right? Or, you know, go ahead, you've had a bad week. You know what will make you feel better? Indulge in a little gossip. Get on the internet. Find some pages you shouldn't find. You know, that will cheer you up. That's the last thing we need. What do we need? We need a a community where you can not only tell the truth, but, but people can speak truth to your heart. Right, that they can encourage you. You need people who say, uh, who can say to you, I know that you're hurting, but but I love you and remember, God is near to the brokenhearted. God saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus alone is the Savior who's patient with the brokenhearted. It's so easy to be impatient with those who have a crushed spirit. It's so easy to, to not be able to wait with them, to not be able to simply sit in the silence with them. Enter into whatever sorrow they need you to enter into with them. Jesus alone is the one who can come and speak that good word to our hearts that, that makes us glad. Jesus is the one who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. So we take advantage of, of the opportunities to be with those who can speak truth and grace to our hearts. Number two... Small mercy number two is to cultivate a thankful heart. Proverbs thirteen twelve says this: hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now that proverb, on the face of it, is really pretty simple. It's straightforward, right? Here's what it's saying: um, when you don't get something that you're hoping for, that makes you sad. But when you do, that makes you happy. How profound, right? Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's very simple, but I think it actually goes a little bit deeper. When we recognize what this proverb is telling us, it's saying that through all the joys and sorrows of life, and we all experience lots of both, the joys and the sorrows, it's saying recognize that all of those have an effect on your heart. Right? We think that, no, no, I'm big and tough, right? I can just brush that off. It's saying these these have an effect. The sadness of life can make your heart sick. It can drag you down. It can crush your spirit. And who can bear that? But then the joys of life, it says they're a tree of life. They can bring healing. They can can give you life. Now, if you've got a crushed spirit, it can be very easy at times to slip into this, this deep kind of cynicism where you just close yourself off to any of the joys of life. Right? Any of the desires fulfilled, you just become cynical about them and, and you don't allow them in. Right? You, you, you just despair. You're so set on, on savoring the bitterness that all the joys fall flat. But there are other times and perhaps you've felt this when a desire fulfilled, a bit of good news, uh, some happy outcome can be the providence of God to you to lift your heart even if just a little bit, right? When God allows you, in the midst of of that crushed spirit, in the midst of that just despondency, that despair, that depression, the grief, whatever it is, God allows some happy news, some good word that really does cheer your spirit, that really will lift up your heart. And we ought not to be cynical about that. We ought not to push those away and say, you know, that can't even touch the depth of despair I'm feeling. Rather, what do we do? We receive that. That can be one of God's good providences, one of his small mercies to those who are crushed in spirit. And, and here's small mercy number three. This might be my favorite. Stay off social media. Now, Proverbs doesn't use those words because Solomon didn't know of social media back in his day. Uh, so I'm just making a practical application of Proverbs 14.10. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Whatever good virtues there may be of social media, Facebook and Instagram, and there are some, we all like to keep in touch with old friends. Right? We all like to, to make everyone else look at our cute kids' first day of school pictures. Right? There's good to be had on social media, we know that. But still, study after study after study has shown that social media... Destroys the tranquility of your heart. I read an article this week, um, and I just I just googled this social media envy. First thing that comes up was titled "How Social Media Fuels Envy, Comparison, Anxiety, and Depression." And there's a whole list of articles that are nearly identical that say the same thing. And I think that's probably no surprise to any of us who have used any social media and have have felt what goes on. We see what goes on, right? We know other people share all their their wonderful, beautiful pictures of their perfect, ideal lives that they all have, and we see them in the midst of our bad days, our very ordinary days, our very boring, listless, repetitive, same-problem-everyday days, and we see, oh, they're snorkeling off the coast of some beautiful island, and we think, oh, my life is terrible. If only it was like theirs, right? It makes the bones rot. It destroys the tranquility of heart. We know the reality is that that we are simply seeing the best of everyone else's life that they so carefully cultivate to to project this image. But it still has the same effect. We fall for it every time. Envy makes the bones rot. It steals your contentment. It blinds your heart to the very good graces that God has put in your own life. Uh, The way that he has shown his love and his mercy to you in your particular situation, the place he has put you. We literally have apps on our phone that were designed to steal the tranquility of your heart, that were designed to, to flare up envy that makes the bones rot. David Brooks made one insightful observation. Uh, he says he makes a difference between what he calls resume values and eulogy values. He says resume values are those things that you might put on your resume, your skills, uh, your experiences, uh, things that you've done, things that you know. Uh, whereas eulogy values are the deeper things of life, right? the virtues that people remember about you, right? that you were brave, that you were faithful, courageous, that you were loving, that you were kind. Those are eulogy values and he says, social media encourages us to develop a resume, right, to build this list that we show to others of things we have done, places we have gone, right, meals we have eaten. And it's just resume values. Whereas the book of Proverbs is constantly encouraging you to develop the deeper virtues, right, eulogy values, faithfulness, love, kindness, honesty, a, a word in season. Those things don't usually play out as well on social media, but they're far more important. So that's my third small mercy: stay off the social media. But let's move on then. If these are the small mercies and these are the things that God gives us just day by day to boost our spirits, um, where can we go after that? Here's the hope for the crushed spirit. Uh, again, Proverbs is wise enough and savvy enough that it doesn't overpromise. There's no simple answers. But Proverbs does point the way, and Proverbs points the way towards Jesus, the source of hope for all those who are crushed in spirit. And I want us to hear that, because that's the most important thing I'm going to say today, so let's just make sure we all hear it, that the only hope for those who are crushed in spirit is in Jesus. Because we could all go online this afternoon and try to find hope, and we would find that there are, are hundreds of people out there willing to give other advice You know, what what do you do when you're sad? Well, try retail therapy, right? Treat yourself, right? Self-care a little bit. Or maybe self-medicate, right? Maybe it's a little darker. Maybe you just need a change of scenery, right? Get the negative people out of your life. Maybe you need more fiber, right? There's hundreds of people giving advice for what to do for the crushed in spirit. Proverbs speaks to you a better word. Proverbs is going to point you towards Jesus and take you to him and say, there is hope for those who are crushed in spirit and there is hope in Jesus. And I look particularly at chapter 3, and these verses are not in the bulletin, uh, but chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, it's this little section called Blessed is the One Who Finds Wisdom, and it's all about the value of, of wisdom, why you ought to seek for wisdom, how it's more precious than silver and gold, Uh, her ways are pleasantness, her paths are peace. And this is verse 18. Speaking of wisdom, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Okay, so two things to notice from this verse. Number one, wisdom is a tree of life we mention this reality that here we are. We live in the reality of once Eden. Right? This world that is not paradise. We recognize there was, there was a day, right? there was an, an actual literal day when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. And they could have looked back over their shoulder and, and they could have known that terrible reality that there was a tree of life in the Garden of Eden and they would never have access to it again. They had lost it. There was an angel with a flaming sword making sure of that. The world was changed forever on that day and we stand with them right there on that side, east of Eden. No access to the tree of life. One theologian said about that that the tree of life is cosmic nostalgia. It is an eternal loss. Something we can never get back. Or can we? Well, Solomon is saying something really profound. He's saying wisdom is not just good, right? It's not just desirable. It's not just helpful to know what to do in life. He's saying wisdom is a tree of life. Wisdom offers healing, life, to those who lay hold of her. It doesn't just make life easier. It is a source of life itself. How does it do that? Well, here's the second point. We've said this in Proverbs already. Wisdom in Proverbs is never just an abstract concept, right? It's never just a sort of a mental calculus that we have to learn. Wisdom is always personified because wisdom is a person. That's why it's always personified. She is a tree of life. Well, who? We saw this in chapter 8, that there's no missing it there, that this personified wisdom is pointing us towards Jesus. It's Jesus himself who is the only one who, who fulfills all these requirements of what wisdom is, He is the wisdom of God for us. Jesus is the one who is greater than Solomon. He's the one who speaks life into us. Uh, The hope for those who are crushed in spirit is that Jesus is the tree of life. Why? Because Jesus was crushed in spirit. We don't need to look to the other examples. We have Jesus himself, and Jesus was the man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Jesus was familiar with suffering. Jesus was the one who could take all of Psalm 22 on his lips. He was the one who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the cry of the crushed spirit. He said with Psalm 41, even his closest companion whom he trusted had turned against him. That's the crushed in spirit. That's the lonely. That's the one who says, the heart knows its own bitterness. Jesus is our high priest. He's the one who joins us in our suffering. He joins us in our grief, our despair, our despondency. But Jesus doesn't only sympathize and know our sorrows. He saves us from it. Right? He's the God of Psalm thirty-four, eighteen, that says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus is the friend who can speak a good word that's filled with healing for the broken heart. Jesus is the one who offers healing and rest, the one who invites us, saying, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads your crushed spirit by streams of living water, who makes you lie down in green pastures. Nobody deals with those who are crushed in spirit as tenderly as Jesus does. and he is the one who came uh, and said a bruised reed, he would not break. It says Jesus is our source of hope. Jesus is this tree of life. He's the one that we come to for life, for healing, for hope. He's the one who who sits with us perfectly in our sadness and offers to to enter into that with us. He's the one who knows what it is to to be tempted, knows what it is to despair, knows what it is to be uh, abandoned. And he's the one who saves us from that as well. And he is the one who sits on the throne, the one who, as it says in Revelation uh, 21, is making all things new. And he brings us into his kingdom and it says, we will be his people, he will be our God, he will dwell with us forever. And there will be no more tears and no more sadness and no more death. Because he is making all things new. And in that city that he brings, Revelation says, There will be uh, trees of life on either side of the river and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. That's the picture that that Proverbs is just pointing us towards, that that we recognize that even Solomon in all of his wisdom didn't see perfectly what was yet to come. He was pointing us towards it. He he knew the hope that was there and he points us forward to Christ. And as Christians, we go back and we say, yes, it's Jesus himself who is our wisdom from God for us who comes and offers this healing, who comes and lays hold of us and and those who he holds fast are called blessed. Isn't it good to be a Christian? Let's pray to the Lord together. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for your word which points us to Christ and we're thankful for Christ who who draws up beside us, who puts his arm around us, who uh, is near to us, Even in the worst of our times, you save us. You never let us go. And so, Father, we pray that you would help our hearts, whether they today feel weary or feel whole, whether they are crushed or healthy, help them to cling to Christ. Lord, may we see him, not only in his glory, but also in his mercy, Uh, not only as the King of Kings, but also as our tender High Priest. Uh, May we know his presence as one who comes beside us, Uh, May we hear his voice speak to us words of comfort, words of healing, uh, words of compassion. And Lord, we pray that uh, by the power of your Spirit, you'll take your word, and Lord, make us to understand, help us to believe, and cause us to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.